This recording is an offering of Networks for Training and Development's online university. Okay, hello everyone. Uh, my name is Shauna Roman. I'm Executive Director of Networks for Training and Development and really glad to be here to talk about our nonprofit incubator work. And I'm joined by Rosa McAllister. I'm the organizational advisor and co-founder of Networks for Training and Development. Great. Thanks so much, Rosa. And, you know, let's just have a conversation about our nonprofit incubator work because it's been something I know that we've been doing in a sense here at Networks as long as we've been in existence, 26 years. Absolutely. Um, But I think in recent years, we've sort of begun to formalize it a bit. So, Maybe you could share a little bit more about how we stumbled into this area to begin with. Absolutely. I'd love to. It's kind of a a fun looking back. And it is part of our very beginnings as an organization. So Mike McAllister and myself started Networks November 4th, 1992, um, officially. And we we were part of a group um, at another location within Philadelphia doing similar work and when folks at Philadelphia, which was then the Office of Mental Health and Mental Retardation, now the Department of Behavioral Health, they came to us. They were a primary contractor and they came to Mike and I and asked us if we wanted to spring off on our own, which was kind of an amazing opportunity a lot of trepidation on our part, and there were a lot of reasons why they asked us to do this. But they were a little hesitant about us, um, even though we were running all the projects and doing all the work, and they loved us and trusted us and all that stuff. Um, They weren't sure that we knew how to really run an organization and administer a nonprofit. So it was under the suggestion of Mike Cavone, who was the administrator for Philadelphia OMHMR, Office of Mental Health and Mental Retardation at the time, he suggested that maybe we partner or fall under another organization, an existing organization that they had a contract with. And so we thought about the various organizations that we knew, and I right away thought of Horizon House because the executive director at the time, Wayne Kyoto, was an old friend of mine. Um, We had actually worked together for another nonprofit in Montgomery County years before. And I really liked Wayne and I really trusted Wayne. And I thought that he, and he had already been helping us to some extent with with another organization. And so I went to him and Mike and I did and asked him if he'd be willing to kind of house us. At the time it was called kangarooing, being in a pocket. Um, not so much incubated, but being in the pocket of another organization. And it was not an altogether unknown thing in the organizational development world, which I had been studying a lot. Mike had been studying a lot about how organizations run. And um, so Wayne agreed to it, Horizon House. They agreed to take us under. And so Networks for Training and Development initially became a project, a kind of department in Horizon House Interestingly enough, we also incorporated Networks for Training and Development Incorporated with the state of Pennsylvania, again, on November 4th, 1992. So there was kind of almost two Networks for Training and Development that existed at the time. One that was this shell nonprofit corporation that didn't have any employees and didn't have any work and didn't have any money. And then there was this Department of Horizon House. 
Um, and we entered into this agreement with Horizon House with the knowledge that we wanted to spring off entirely separate, independent. And they knew that we had, at the same time, had started this nonprofit, that we were serious about this. And so we wanted to work with them and learn from Horizon House so that we could confidently for ourselves and our contractors, um, our funders, we could confidently move off in this direction. And so we set a goal of two years that we would do this. And unbelievably enough, we did it exactly in two years. So actually mm. a little shy of two years. So on July 1st, 1994, we moved out of Horizon House completely and moved completely into, if you will, Networks for Training and Development Incorporated, the nonprofit itself. There were a couple steps that happened certainly along the way to make that full transition, but we did do that in just shy of two years. And it wasn't long after that, frankly, that um, we started talking about, you know, maybe we could help other people, other groups do something similar. And from the very beginning, even as we were a part of Horizon House, the networks that was a part of Horizon House, Mike and I really had a real strong interest in continuing our learning about how good organizations run, not just nonprofits, but the term at the time was learning organizations, um, organizations that really had a focus that were very mission-centered and mission-based, mission-focused, mm -hmm. were very flat, that they were not the typical pyramid with, uh, you know, an executive at the top and gradually increasing numbers of people at the bottom, ranks of employees. We wanted a very flat organization from the very start. We had very clear ideals and values about what networks would be, not just the work that we did, but the very structure of networks. And what we wanted to do was what we eventually called holding up the mirror, this idea that we would, as we were trying to make this happen within this new organization, this new thing called networks, we would also be teaching about it. We would be teaching lending classes since we were a training organization. We'd be doing workshops and sessions and other things with other groups to talk about what we were trying to do that was a little bit different. In fact, in some ways, a lot different than how other nonprofits in Pennsylvania certainly were running. We were doing things very, very differently. So it was very much a part of our process from the beginning to not only be kangarooed or what we now call incubated by Horizon House by someone else and learn from them, but also teach others about it. And as we would teach others about this and set forth on our own footing independently, people started asking us various groups if we could help them. So mm -hmm. we informally started kangarooing ourselves or incubating ourselves, many different community groups, some offshoots of new organizations, new nonprofits, in the, mostly in the Philadelphia area, but elsewhere. And in particular, there were three other sister organizations across Pennsylvania that we partnered with, and we helped them and they helped us throughout this process for a number of years. And when we referred to each other as sister organizations, we did lots of presentations for the state of Pennsylvania about how we were all new organizations trying to do something very differently. And we've kept in touch with at least one of them through the years and still consider them one of our sister organizations. And then there's been many others that we've helped along the way, some that we're still involved with in some way, some that kind of got started and tried to form as an organization and then kind of went off by the wayside. 
some that have spun off completely independently um, and are still in existence now. So it's been something that we've done for all of these 26 years. And it's just been, as you mentioned, just been in the last maybe not even a handful of years that we decided to really make this more formal. Mm -hmm. um, and so we've kind of really named this now as a project of ours as our nonprofit incubator. That's great. And it's just, you know, interesting to hear the, you know, historical perspective of this because it really is how we began ourselves and we're kind of returning the favor by doing what was done for us for others, um, which Absolutely. is which is really nice karma and synergy mm -hmm. and all that good stuff. Mm -hmm. So fast Absolutely. forwarding, yeah. So fast forwarding to now, or I guess in the last maybe I don't know three or four years, where we've decided mm -hmm. we want to you know kind of forge into this a little more formally and begin to advertise it a little bit or promote it or make it package it a little bit could you share a little bit about what our current activities and what the services look like today absolutely well just backtracking just a little bit um our first of our more formal nonprofit incubator programs the cordon fund i should know this exactly and i don't my apologies but we became involved with that i I would guess maybe about 15 years ago is my guess. And this became, this happened because Marianne Roach, who was, it was a long-term friend of Networks and colleague and actually was an employee of Networks for a number of years, came to Mike and I and asked us if we would possibly house a project she was thinking about doing in honor of her sister. Um, her sister, Nancy Cordon, was, like Marianne, a very feisty, interesting character, a lovable, wonderful character in the Pittsburgh area. Nancy had disabilities and struggles, but she was also a true Cordon, which is Marianne's maiden name. And she, Nancy had died a few years before, and, you know, Marianne, I know, missed her terribly, a lot of heartache, and, you know, was very, very close to her, own, to her sibling. And... Marianne came to us because an uncle had died and had left Marianne's mother and Marianne, I believe, some, some money. It wasn't a huge amount, but it was a substantial enough amount that Marianne and her mom wanted to do something good with the money. And so she had an idea that if Networks was willing to house this, she wanted to start a fund, the Nancy Cordon Fund, in honor of her sister, and it would be earmarked. For people, originally it was kind of primarily for people in Philadelphia, people with disabilities and their families who were running into emergency needs that either the system couldn't fill or the system would take so many hoops and whatever in order to fill. So we, we went, took this to our board, Miriam made a presentation to our board of directors at Networks and the board approved this. And so the Cordon Fund became our first official official what we would call now our nonprofit incubator um, project. It became a, an activity of the board of directors of networks. And that still exists. And the Cordon Fund has reached a little bit farther than Philadelphia, although still primarily in Philadelphia. And it pr has provided, oh my gosh, washing machines to people and first month rent and funeral expenses and home adaptations and I can't even tell you all the different things, um, van modifications, all kinds of different things that people just, Miriam would become aware of somebody's need 
she would in her magic way try to make things happen and figure out how to help this person or family or whatever and when everything came to a halt and there was just no way she would then um, contact the governing board of the not of the cordon fund which is four members she would contact us by email and ask us give us a, a lowdown of what the situation was and ask if the cordon fund could spend $200, $500, $35, whatever, to help this person. And if we all gave approval, then the Cordon Fund would do it and networks would basically cut the check. So the Cordon Fund still exists, and it's from that that we then kind of formulated a little bit more firmly how other of our nonprofit incubator projects would work. The second project that came to, came to be under our nonprofit incubator fund happened uh, nine years ago after Mike McAllister died suddenly. Um, many people donated money to networks in Mike's name. Um, and it was a little, a little less than a year later, I know Shauna, you and me and others within networks and my son, our son, Michael Landis, we talked a lot about what should we use this money for? And we kicked around a number of different ideas and somehow we came up with the idea of starting a fund through networks that would help people with disabilities do some of the stuff, get on with life, as Mike used to say, and particularly in areas that Mike really, really liked that were part of his passions, good food and wine, good education and leadership, motorcycles and the ocean, um, ocean sports and the love of the ocean and all of that. So the Got Mike Fund was founded a year after Mike passed. So it was, um, it, it will, I guess, be nine years in January. So it's eight and a half years old, something like that. And through that, we've done, we have a governing board as well, just like the, the um, Cordon Fund. And the governing board for the Cordon Fund were a few people that Marianne Roach asked to be a part of that. So it's Liz Healy an old friend from Pittsburgh who's also recently retired but has been involved in the disability field for many, many years and is a, a parent. Uh, Judith Gran, who is an attorney, very, very well-known, internationally known disability law attorney in the Philadelphia area and a good friend of Marianne's as well and of networks. And initially it was Mike on the Cordon Fund governing board and then transferred to me after Mike's death. So it was always the idea that it would be one of us who were on network's board of directors would be the liaison since these were activities of our board. The Got Mike Fund governing board, we asked um, in founding that, Michael, our son, and myself. And then we asked a few of Mike's really good friends, Paul Bartolomeo, who is an attorney in Philadelphia and is also a founding board member of networks and still is our board president and one of Mike's high school buddies. Um, we asked Anthony Ippolito, Tony Ippolito, who was a, a very good friend of Mike's from childhood, who also worked for the Office of Vocational Rehabilitation in Philadelphia. We asked Steve Nasuti, who was a very close friend of Mike's, who also was on Network's board as well. And Steve um, ran Philadelphia Office of Vocational Rehab and then Pennsylvania Office of Vocational Rehab. Um, we asked Dave McCoy, who was a long-term friend of Mike, one Mike's best friends, motorcycle buddy, wine, beer, good food drinking buddy. And we asked, oh my gosh, I'm drawing a blank, a friend from Oregon who I know so well, 
I can't believe I'm drawing a blank on his name. Oh my God, Tom. Uh, Tom. Mm -hmm. yeah. we, asked, we asked Tom, who also is a good friend from Oregon and a University of Oregon where Michael went. Mike went to college for his PhD program. Tom is a family member of people with disabilities and also was, um, uh, runs, uh, uh, it's Tom Keating. He runs a, a, a disability organization out of Oregon and it's technology based, et cetera. So that was our governing board. So we, over the years through the Got Mike Fund, have given out scholarships through APSI, which is an employment organization to people who were bettering their education in employment leadership for people with disabilities. We've helped a number of different people in a couple of different ways. We've helped an adapted um, paddling program, outrigger paddling program here on Maui and a tennis program here on Maui. We've done a number of different things, again, all kind of supporting Mike's passions and to help people live a better, easier, more fun life. More recently, we've been involved in a number of different, um, two other groups that have formally come under us. For a number of years, I was involved in helping a group here on Maui called the Butterfly Effect Maui, started by a woman, Tatiana Howard, um, who was a world-class windsurfer, kiteboarder. And as she traveled about the world, she would oftentimes, for various sporting events, water events, she would talk with women and girls in various, sometimes third world nations, about entrepreneurship and getting out on the water in non-competitive ways and bettering themselves. I helped her with projects here on Maui and kept talking with her about that what she was doing was really nonprofit work. So behind the scenes through my hat at Networks, I helped her think about nonprofit work and becoming a nonprofit. And the Butterfly Effect Maui has come under officially, it's our most recent um, of our nonprofit incubator projects. And it's helping Tatiana do work around the world, um, helping uh, women in particular, but all people better themselves with entrepreneurship, with water sports, with all kinds of different things. Tatiana also partners with local community groups and whatever monies she makes through these various events, she supports local, local groups, whether it's around sustainability or environmental causes, or here on Maui, it's with uh, Susan Komen, breast cancer research. Um, and uh, the fourth, it's actually our third incubator project that came on board officially is the Las Aguas Fund. And that's supporting work in Cuba around the sustainability of wellness and the yoga community in Cuba. And this came about after a trip that I made to Cuba three years ago and met an incredible woman, Shoshana Marks, who runs a, a retreat company, a, a yoga retreat company, a cultural retreat company to, yo to Cuba. Um, she's married to a Cuban and has lots of Cuban family there and has been going back and forth to Cuba over 20 years, um, helping in various ways and started a retreat company there with her family in Cuba. When I went to Cuba three years ago, I immediately saw the work she was doing. And once again, like Tatiana said, you know, what you're doing is nonprofit work. And she admitted that she had wanted to start a nonprofit but didn't know how. So 
about a year later, a little over a year later, Las Aguas Fund was born under Network's nonprofit incubator project. And it was because of Las Aguas that Shauna, you and I talked about, you know, maybe it's time that we formally raise the flag, put out the shingle, that we do mm -hmm. work and that we formalize it more. And we take what we've learned from the Cordon Fund and the Got Mike Fund and all of these other groups that we've helped over the years and formalize what this would look like. And so we did mm -hmm. that with board approval. We, our network's board approval, we started the nonprofit incubator program and Las Aguas Fund was incorporated into that. And so we are running retreats to, to Cuba, wellness retreats to learn, a kind of learning educational exchanges where we're learning from Cubans, various wellness, um, spiritual practices, yoga practices, all kinds of different wellness practices. And we're also teaching them. And we're also wor working side by side doing Seva Yoga, which is of service projects, whether it's gardening or painting or whatever the community might need from us while we're there. We're having lots of fun there as well. And a part of all of these retreats go directly to the ongoing education of yoga instructors and other wellness practitioners and other projects that we'll be doing within Cuba. Um, so it's again, all to help sustain what they already have going, not to take over in any way, but to help them sustain what they already have going there wellness wise. That was a lot, sorry. <laughs> no, that's great. And it's, it's interesting to kind of hear, you know, this overview, there's, you know, there's variety in terms of the kinds of organizations or groups that were incubating and it's been a nice evolution from you know something very small with the cordon fund to working with international groups that are doing these amazing things around the world so it's really interesting and i'm i'm curious to hear your thoughts on kind of where do we go from here what do you think mm. you know I, I know I had my own concerns in the beginning when we were thinking about formalizing it and putting it on paper and creating basically a skeleton of a contract of what we would offer and getting that signature from those groups to say hey this is what you're going to get from us and in exchange we'll get this from you um, but it's been an, I think a great progression in terms of our learning and also helping others. So where do you think we're headed in mm. terms of this incubator work? Yeah, and it's, and it's interesting to hear. I remember your trepidations. I remember your concerns. I remember our board's concerns, especially with mm -hmm. Cuba. It's a common mm -hmm. country, and oh my goodness, and you know, are we sure, and what do we know about this person, Shoshana Marks, and you know, all of this kind of stuff. It took us a while, it really did, and lots of, mm -hmm. uh, lots of thinking through, which was really, really necessary, and I think super good for us in the long run as a board, as well as as an organization. Um, as to the future, I got, I've got, I, I was, you know this, I was recently at an amazing conference in the San Francisco area, um, just about a month or a little more than a month ago, and it was the first that I got to talk with strangers and very knowledgeable, interesting strangers about the work that we do at Networks. And when I started talking about our nonprofit incubator program, the room lit up, I have to tell you. And I, I'm sure I lit up because it dawned on me, just as you were saying, that through our nonprofit incubator services, 
we were able to extend, we are able to extend the reach of networks and our belief in inclusive communities and our belief that everybody has merit and everybody should dream. And, you know, we all need to take better care of each other, but first ourselves, you know, that, you know, we can't do any of this stuff if we're not healthy and well ourselves. And so putting this all together and the wellness of communities and all of this through this nonprofit incubator services, we're able to extend our reach so dramatically in ways and to people and to groups that we would never have been able to do. Just our small little organization networks. I mean, we have, mm -hmm. we have how many employees? I don't know. And you think we usually fluctuate around like 10 or something, 12. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we have lots of associates, as we call them, and consultants and sisters and brothers and, you know, all that stuff. But through this, we're able to extend our reach dramatically. And, mm -hmm. yet, and yet we don't have to own it. We don't have to do it. We can support it. We can learn about and support others to do their great work without them being burdened by all the tedious tasks of infrastructure and administration, to be honest. Um, we can help them do the amazing stuff that they're already doing or wanting to be doing. Um, and, and we take over the parts that we know we can do and let them do what they're destined to do, which is mm -hmm. incredible. Mm -hmm. And we get to be along for the ride and we get to help make this happen and to promote this again, without having to think it all and do it all ourselves either. So our reach has, ex has extended so far and how far it will go, I honestly have no idea. I know both you and I have talked about our fears of having too many nonprofit non incubator projects running and would we really mm -hmm. be able to stay in tune and give them the support that they need if we got too big, if we got too many. So it's very small. We've kind of really, even just doing this um, discussion today and recording this and parking it on our website eventually is kind of a, a little bit of a scary thing because we haven't really advertised a whole lot our nonprofit incubator services for fear that we might be inundated by too many. Too many that might not fit and we then have to turn away as well as too many that might fit and we get excited about, but can we really provide the help to that many? So mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. the numbers, I know I was asked recently, so how many, if there are four projects now that you have going, how many new ones? I think we've talked about maybe one or two new ones a year, but we can't keep adding them all on if some don't spin off. Mm -hmm. So we have to help some of maybe our existing ones or maybe some of the new ones that might come in to spin off into being their own thing, their mm -hmm. own actual nonprofit, or maybe it's not a nonprofit. Maybe it's an LLC or something else they become. Mm -hmm. um, so I predict that we're going to continue to see and meet as we go about, you know, our work, we're going to meet others just like Marianne and Shoshana and Tatiana and certainly Mike that inspire us to think with them about something that we might do together. Mm -hmm. And who knows, maybe it will be in outer space or mm -hmm. who knows where. And, you know, certainly 
you know, more in Pennsylvania, which is our home base. So we're here in Hawaii, which is kind of our second base, if you will. And um, so who knows where it might be or where it might take us um, or what it might be that's the actual work, if you will, or the projects. Because now we're into water sports and entrepreneurship and wellness communities and um, sustainability practices. Um, so who knows what next might come our way. You know, we kind of have our, our four corners, as we call it, that um, Alyssa Schaefer, one of our board members at Networks, helped us think about with this nonprofit incubator that things have to match with. Um, so for um, a project or an organization or an idea that to match with us with our nonprofit incubator, it has to be something that's built around inclusive communities. There must be some kind of quality training or educational opportunities to underprivileged or other groups it must be a part of it. There must be technical assistance or consultation or support or something or other that we're doing with other organizations or groups um, that seem connected. And there must be actual practice where we're helping individuals, groups, et cetera, really do innovate, innovative things to help others be more independent and in whatever that mm -hmm. might be. So mm -hmm. who knows what this might look like? Who knows mm -hmm. where this might take us next? It's exciting to think about. Mm -hmm. This is great. Thank you so much. And if we need more, you know, if, if someone's listening to this and would like, you know, wow, I want more information. Who do I contact? How do I connect with networks around our nonprofit incubator work? Um, who do they call? They call you, they call me. <laughs> I think, well, I think I'm listed, um, but they certainly can call you too. They can also go to our website, um, www.networksfortraining.org. It's a long one, okay. www.networksfortraining.org. And you can look for our nonprofit incubator services on there. And in there is some more information and a direct contact, a direct link to me email wise. Otherwise, my email is Rosa M R O S A M at networksfortraining.org um, is another way that they can contact me. And I'm, I would love to talk with anyone who might be more interested. I can send them more information and find out more about what their great ideas are. Awesome. Great. Thank you so much, Rosa, for taking the time and um, I'm excited about this opportunity to kind of expand our work, hearing the story again, we've, you know, of course, I'm very aware of it, but hearing it today kind of makes me get excited again about the possibilities for the future. So I think uh, this is far from over for us. I think we are, we're in for quite a ride around our nonprofit <laughs> incubator work. <laughs> it'll, be, so it'll be fun. It'll be fun. Th thanks to you, Shauna, seriously, for getting behind this and, and expressing your concerns and your trepidations and learning and thinking through with me and with us and to the board as well for supporting and making this happen. I think we're really making some big differences with people. Absolutely, thank you. And thank you for <laughs> taking the lead with this. Absolutely. Okay. All right, I think this wraps up our Nonprofit Incubator podcast. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and um, we'll connect with you at a later time. Absolutely, aloha. Thank you for listening. 
We hope the information provided was helpful. Don't forget to stop by our website and take advantage of all we have to offer. If you want to be kept informed of upcoming events, subscribe to our channel to be kept up to date on our future programs.